whitebenefits.com and have been, been doing a lot of writing. And the brothers asked me, in our family of churches, we have a diversity committee, and they asked me to be a part of that. And so we've been going back and forth uh, because of what is going on in Charlottesville right now, or went on yesterday especially. But at any rate, we shared ideas, things that could be shared with the church, et cetera, because some of these churches are very close to that area. And, of course, it is a very, very uh, sensitive situation. And so uh, one of the things that I thought of immediately as we began to discuss it was this passage. We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And that is just a fact, as Mark said. Uh, the world is under the control of Satan, so we shouldn't be real surprised when the world acts like Satan would dictate. And I'd like to say that I think that's going to end. I'd like to say that uh, 2018 will be better, and 2019 even better. I'd love to say that, but I don't believe it. I think as this country has gotten farther and farther away from the Bible as a standard, uh, we have believed when I was 20 years old where things would be right now in this country. So although I carry a, an American or a U.S. Uh, passport, my citizenship is in heaven. And that is my focus. I do not expect the world to get well but until they come to Jesus. But we are that light, and we've got to do everything that we can. Certainly a lot of prayer right now for those that are suffering, for those that are terribly disillusioned, for those that are just in situations that I don't totally understand because I'm not there. But I do understand the crazies uh, that are in Charlottesville because I was raised around a number of those in the South, I know what all that looks like and smells like, and it's a very heartbreaking thing. And I praise God that somehow because of my family situation and my mom and my dad, I did not get raised to view anyone that way. And uh, so anyway, I feel grateful for that and grateful that I have a way of writing some of that's been my own stuff working through, but a lot of it has been addressing what we need in our churches. And uh, we'll have some things about this region on my blog site uh, really soon because I feel like we have made some really good efforts. We've got more to make, but we've made some really good ones, and I'm grateful. Mark mentioned that my family was with me. Actually, I have three members of my family with me. My beautiful wife, you can stand up. Uh, And since school starts next week, we're doing a little getaway with our son's family who lives here. Uh, I've got two of them with me today. My oldest grandson, Bryce Gordon, uh, who is a campus student, and my second grandson who is uh, in high school, Blaze. And so I'll have you gentlemen stand up wherever you are. All right. Very good. They add their own element of diversity. Uh, their mother is uh, Filipina, and they take much more after their mother than they do their father as far as their looks. They have a built-in suntan. I'm very envious of that. Uh, I wish I had one of those. But uh, at any rate, they're great 
kids. Uh, Bryce is a disciple. Blaze is studying right now. I'm very proud of them. And the rest of the family will join us except for mom. She's got to work. But uh, we'll be doing a few days of getaway here together. Okay, Uh, what I want to talk about today is I've been requested is to talk about the Holy Spirit. You've done a a series called The Forgotten God. It's sort of like, you know, uh, when uh, these guys tried to do uh, casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And they didn't know Jesus, and they were trying to do it. The book of Acts talks about that. And so one guy that had a demon said, okay, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And then they beat the tar out of him. And it sort of reminds me of how sometimes we think spiritually, the Father I know, Jesus I know, but who is the Holy Spirit? So I'm grateful that we're studying the Spirit more because he is our source of power. Now, just a little review. The Holy Spirit's power is is certainly evident through the Old Testament. He's mentioned a lot, but he's not really described so much. It's not really uh, a breakdown of sort of his role and what it is until we get to the New Testament. But as we talked about in the midweek a couple weeks ago, a week and a half, uh, the word for God in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created, Elohim is a plural word. And yet the interesting thing is it's always followed by a singular verb. And so that means that we have one God, one being, but there are three persons within the one being. Now, do I totally understand that? No. Do you totally understand that? I don't think so, but if you do, catch me later. I'd like to have more instruction on that one. But it is a complex subject because God is complex. But there are things about God that are not complex. They are simple. We can understand them. And the work of the Holy Spirit is certainly one of those. When we come to the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit being very active in the ministry of Jesus. We see then that same power, spiritual power, transferred over to the apostles and others as they did some miraculous things in following Jesus and being trained And then it's passed on to the early church and really blossoms in the early church, and we'll talk about that some. But, you know, as I think about the Spirit, that is where power comes from. So I know the Father, Son, and Spirit all work together, but there's a power in what the Holy Spirit does. My morning prayers usually start like this. I go on long prayer walks. It's good for my ticker, and it's good for my heart in a spiritual sense. So I like long prayer walks. I do it almost every day. And so when I go on the prayer walks, I start off by praising God some, but then very quickly I I move into asking God to help me be in a good place for the rest of the prayer. So I ask God, through the blood of Jesus, to forgive me of all of my sins. Omission, commission, especially at my age, omission. Do I have an energy, enough energy to do too much <laughs> outwardly? But anyway, uh, a lot of things take place inside, obviously. Uh, then I pray that God, as Father, as the great physician, would give me health in my body, heal me of anything that's in there, and help me to be healthy as long as I can be. I'm about to turn 75 in October, uh, so I definitely uh, pray about that one. I can get a little of that anxiety Mark's talking about there, and I look in the mirror and I think, what happened? 
I was minding my own business, and look at this. But uh, then I pray about the Spirit in my life, and I pray, God, through the Spirit, illuminate me. Help me to see what you want in my life. Then give me direction as you illuminate me, and then give me the power to follow through with it. I, I, almost every day I start my prayer time that way. After praising God, uh, then I move into that, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and the strength that I need. Now, spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about this a little in a different way than you're expecting, most likely, because I don't know I've ever talked about it exactly the way I'm going to today. I get... I've got a lot of things that I've done in the past on the Holy Spirit, but I like, you know, to kind of rethink things, and so I typically don't repeat things I've done in the past. And so all of those uh, thousands of sermons on my computer, I, I don't even go back and look at them. I don't know why I've got them there, but anyway, I, I like to get something fresh. So today we're going to look at it a little different way, but it is going to kind of involve the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what that may mean to us today. Of course, in 1 Corinthians 12 uh, through 14, he talks about, 12, 13, and 14, he talks about the Holy Spirit. And uh, as I was taught, that chapter 12 enumerates or lists the gifts of the Spirit. Chapter 13 talks about the duration of those gifts. And then chapter 14 talks about the regulation of those gifts as long as they were practiced in the early church. So the miraculous gifts of the Spirit ended, for their purposes were fulfilled once the Holy Spirit was completed. That's what we usually say. Uh, we're going to say more than that today, however. Now, when we say that the miraculous age is done, that may seem something like a letdown to you. Because wouldn't it be cool if you saw somebody walk on water? Wouldn't it be cool if you saw someone that had never heard a word all of a sudden could hear perfectly? Wouldn't it be amazing that a person who's never walked not only was healed in the body, but also was made able to walk, so they jumped up and walked. They didn't have to go through what one-year-olds go through. They didn't have to learn. That'd be pretty amazing to see, right? And so sometimes when you say, well, the miraculous age, that was back then, uh, sometimes it hits us, it would be exciting to see it. So I ask the question, has the miraculous age ended? And it all depends on how you define miracle. If you look in the dictionary, it will list, number one, that it's something that God does in basically suspending the laws of nature, setting them aside to do something that's contrary to the laws of nature. And of course, those instantaneous healings or uh, raising the dead or whatever that Jesus did and the apostles later and many in the early church did as well, uh, that's the first definition. But then you get into a definition that I think has something to say to us today there are miracles, I think, taking place all the time. Now, I uh, look at life changes. I look at a sick world, and then I look at life changes in people that I know. I look at life changes in me. And I say, wow, how did that happen? And so to me, I look at miracles as conversions. The conversion stories are quite amazing. 
And so we can talk about someone's life, and you think, really? They changed? Wow, there's hope for anybody. That dude changed? There is hope for anyone. That's the way we usually think about that. You know, you go back to those miracles that did take place in the first century, and they were uh, physical miracles, and they were very limited. Everyone that got raised from the dead died again. Everyone that got healed got sick again and died somewhere down the line. So they were very temporary things. The kind of miracles I'm talking about, they do not have an expiration date on them. They can begin now in this life, and they can carry on forever and ever and ever. So I'm much more excited about the miracles that we're talking about today, and I think it is realistic to call spiritual conversions miracles. Now just imagine, put yourself back in Jerusalem, early church, about A.D. 35. And so it's gotten tough. We started off good, everybody thought it was cool, you know, but now it's become obvious we're different. To be a Christian is different than simply to be a Jew, a Jew under the Old Testament law. And so there's persecution. And the lead persecutor, the dude that was a fire-breathing dragon named Saul, I mean, he was wrecking everything. You talk about anxious. You couldn't get enough antacids to get calmed down over that boy. And so you're in a church service, maybe having to kind of hide it a little bit, but you're in a church service in about A.D. 35 in Jerusalem, and someone gets up and announces, Saul of Tarsus got baptized into Jesus. He's your brother. <laughs> now, you going to believe that? I mean, we wouldn't think it was weird if anybody says, wow, that is unbelievable. We wouldn't think that was weird, would we? Well, they didn't believe it. When he came to Jerusalem, Acts 9, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. What a welcome into the Jerusalem church that was. Not quite so warm as I get when I come here. Well, thankful for Barnabas, the son of encouragement. We all need a Barnabas around because he took Paul under his wing, took him to the apostles, got everything smoothed out. That was cool. Now, the Holy Spirit's purposes in the first century. Here are the purpose of the supernatural things that were done. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these miracles, these signs, are recorded, they are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then in Acts 14, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Hebrews, much the same. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him, 
God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So, Jesus' miracles were designed to create faith so that people could get saved, right? And so if people have that faith kicked off and they accept him and follow him, then uh, they get to be saved. But even then, we might think those miracles were so great, but Jesus said, wait, wait, there's something better. Jesus told him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. By the way, you're pretty hard-headed dude to even get there. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me, right? And so Jesus said it's one thing to have seen the signs and believe, but for the ones that can simply read about it and have faith in God's inspired word and then believe, you're even more blessed. That's pretty cool. In order to create saving faith, the miracles had to continue uh, to confirm the word by being, that was being spoken and later written as actually being from God. Now put yourself in first century Judaism. You've had 15 centuries of following what we call the Old Testament. Now some guy comes along and he said, okay, that period's over and now you need to listen to me because we got a new covenant. Oh yeah, after 1,500 years, I'm going to listen to that. Well, see, that wasn't easy. There had to be signs to convince people that the message was from God and the people speaking it were from God. Some of those gifts, as we will look at a few of them, were designed to reveal the message. I call those revelatory messages or revelatory gifts. They revealed the message like the gift of prophecy where they spoke by inspiration, uh, the gift of knowledge probably, the gift of wisdom, maybe those are all direct inspirational things. The gift of tongues could kind of work both ways. You spoke in a different language that would communicate the message, but it would also convince people, so it would both reveal and confirm. But anyway, uh, you had two different kinds. But they were designed to create faith by revealing the gospel and confirming it and those who delivered it to really be from God, okay? Got that? You've been over a lot of that before, I know. So, what about the Holy Spirit's purposes in the 21st century? I know what he did in the first century, based on what we've looked at in those passages. Do we yet have a need to create faith by delivering the message of Christ accompanied by some kind of miraculous confirmation? What do you think? All right, faith comes by hearing, hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So another question. Now that we have that message in written form, does that mean that some type of miraculous deliverance of the message is no longer needed? I don't think so. Look at these verses. Paul said to the church in Corinth, he says, you yourselves are our letter. They had a lot of problems, but if you know what Corinth was like, it was a seacoast city. You could come at it two ways, and boy, there was a lot of stuff that went on there. And they, even though the church had its problems, 
they were still extremely different than their neighbors and different than they had been. He says, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He's saying your life is basically another form of revealing the message. That has to be true, or else John 13 and John 17 wouldn't make sense. If people are not reading us, then these passages wouldn't make any sense. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. They're reading us. They're reading our relationships. We have some people here today that are here for the first time. They're looking at you. They're looking at me. They want to know, is this, this one of these churchy deals? Or are these guys for real? All of them may be one, Jesus prays. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, the way it works, guys, is people have to have a double dose to really believe the Bible, most of them. There may be some exceptions, but for the most part, God intends that people read the Word two ways at the same time. As they are studying the Bible, the written Word, they're looking at you and me. And they're trying to figure out, okay, is this guy living what he's teaching me is right? And, you know, it becomes kind of obvious. I remember when I met this movement of churches. I was invited to speak in a conference. I'd never been around this group. It was back in those days, mostly campus guys, young bucks, you know. And I went in as a little older guy. I was probably 40. I was old back then to them. And uh, I, I went to speak, and man, did I hear some things, and did I see some things, and did I talk to a lot of people, and I thought, wow, this is a whole different ball game than the kinds of churches that I've spent my life in. This is a different game here. I was seeing young guys get up and preach in a way that would have gotten them fired from some of the churches that I've been around. I'm amazed I never got fired. Uh, but they sounded kind of like me. They were, they, 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 just, they were blunt, man. They laid it out. And, and I was seeing the results. They said, okay, everybody's been baptized in the last two years, stand up, and almost everybody in the audience stood up. I thought, wow. And it was a big group. And the more I was around, the more I could see it. And how many stories could we repeat like that? of people that were just, you know, wondering, is this real or not? Sometimes it takes a while to figure it out. Uh, I've told a conversion story. One of my dear friends in, in uh, Arizona that leads the region I used to be in, used to lead at one time, but uh, he was a guy that was always religious growing up. He was going to church. He was trying to figure it out. He was going to different churches. He couldn't in his mind match up what he read in the Bible with the churches he was going to. He was, he was a jock, and so he, he got in fellowship with Christian athletes, but he just couldn't 
see it. And why, even he was so interested in it that in spite of his, his major, he, he had a minor in religion. He was trying to figure out this God thing. And so one day Steve was on the campus of UCLA and somebody said, hey, we got this Bible study group gets together tonight. Would you like to come? And Steve said, love to come. And he went and he listened to them and he watched them. And in one night, after all of his experiences and his looking, in one night, he said, this is for real. And he got baptized soon thereafter, and he's been uh, leading regions and whatever for a long time. Okay, what about the miraculous gifts today? Sometimes when you look at the, the gifts, especially in 1 Corinthians 12, you say they're miraculous gifts, and then you look at the gifts in Romans 12, and you say they're the ordinary gifts or the non-miraculous gifts. I don't know anything ordinary about any of those myself, but the so-called ordinary gifts are the supposed non-miraculous ones. 1 Corinthians 12 gives us one list, uh, Romans 12 another list, and primarily 1 Corinthians 12 is miraculous, and Romans 12 is non-supernatural in that sense. One point to keep in mind that explains the difference is that Paul started the church in Corinth that many could lay his hands on people and pass on the gift. He hadn't been to Rome, nor had any other apostle, and so the gifts weren't there for the most part. Prophecy is mentioned, and maybe someone from Jerusalem that got converted on the day of Pentecost had gone there, but for the most part, you don't see all the miraculous-type gifts there. And that's why Paul probably said in Romans 1.11, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. So, the question then, as you look at 1 Corinthians 12, do miraculous gifts have counterparts today? Now, these are gifts that were, in the case of a healing, instantaneous. In the case of these other things, direct inspiration. So these things were miraculous in the ultimate sense of the word, but in that other sense of miracle that the dictionaries have also, by the way, in their second and third definitions, are their counterparts today. In other words, do we need the same things that they had in a different form? Okay, hang with me. For example, he talks about on the list, I list them there, but you've got the message of wisdom, the message of knowledge. Okay, that meant that the Holy Spirit inspired them to have wisdom beyond what they would have had otherwise and to have knowledge supernaturally beyond what they would have had otherwise, instantaneous. On the other hand, those gifts then were uh, the product of inspiration. Now they're gifts of perspiration. In other words, some of us are born with some innate capacities from God that can be developed in such a way that they just really stand out. I think about uh, one of my best friends in the world named Wyndham Shaw. He's an elder in Boston. He and I were fellow elders there for a long time together. But I spoke on a seminar with him when he was a young guy. He was appointed an elder at 38. But back even when he's probably in his 20s, 
he and I shared a lesson together on some seminar. He remembers where it was. I don't. But anyway, Wyndham's got a, a very bad disease right now. It's very progressive, and uh, he's not quite paralyzed yet, but he's getting there pretty fast. Lost movement in his legs. His hands don't work so well either. It's, it, uh, Teresa and I were there recently. And uh, it's very hard to watch. Please pray for Wyndham. But I thought when I shared with him on that seminar, and it was a, a subject like discovering the will of God for your life, something like that. I don't remember the title, but something like that. And Wyndham, I think, was in his 20s. And he got up there and spoke, and I thought, wow. He was born with something. I've never heard a guy his age that had that much spiritual insight and wisdom. There are people that have extraordinary amounts of that, and I believe those are gifts from God. I believe they're counterparts. But I think God said to pray for wisdom, right? James 1. So I believe that God can give us wisdom beyond what we would have otherwise, or else why pray for it? There have been many times, I can remember specific times, I'm trying to help someone, and I can't figure out what is wrong with this dude. And I, I remember times when I've said, hey, just, just excuse me a minute, I need to run to the restroom. Well, I, I sort of did need to go, but not so bad. But I needed to pray. And after several hours of sitting with someone and hearing everything and trying to help get them unlocked spiritually and emotionally, I go to the bathroom and I pray, Lord, I'm stumped here. Please give me the spirit because I don't know what to do here. Let him guide me. And I go back and within two minutes, bam, opens right up. You see, the spirit can do that. You have to believe that he can. And you have to pray like that. I've been in many situations that were sort of troubleshooting situations with people and with churches, a lot of time with churches. I had one of those trips recently with a church that's going through some things and they wanted some help. And I went in there and I had to try to figure out what do they need here. And so I talked to a lot of people. I was in meetings of leaders and others and I had to figure out what do they need and decide and then lay it out. I didn't get much sleep. Uh, the several days that I was there, I was just trying to figure out what was going on. But I did a lot of praying. I said, God, I have no idea what's going to really help here. Please let your spirit lead me in this. I don't think the spirit did exactly the same that he did in that first century setting with those miraculous gifts, but he did something very, very similar. And I've gotten in those situations so many times, and in a lot of them, as I get up and start sharing, and it starts coming out, I feel like almost I'm in the third person watching me. And I'm thinking, where's that coming from? But I believe it's coming from the Spirit. Now, I can't guarantee that. There are times that I just felt like the Spirit led me to do this. Some people <coughs> say that really dogmatically. The Spirit led me to do thus and so. And I'm thinking, well, which Spirit? <laughs> maybe it's the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's yours, Bubba. There have been times when I thought it was the Holy Spirit and it was Gordon's all-too-human Spirit 
and my mouth got me into trouble, and I had to apologize once again. I have been there too. But honestly, I've had more of that former type of experience where I really feel if I am humble enough, if I am spiritual enough and humble enough, I think God will give me some things that I would not have had otherwise because of the thing that he is trying to do to help people. It's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. Uh, medical professionals, we looked at the Bolivia uh, video and they've got a hospital there. I've been to some of the hospitals and orphanages that Hope operates and I have known doctors that had unusual gifts, special abilities to heal. So there was a gift of healing miraculously but I believe that God has given some medical people some amazing gifts. I, I, I know of situations where diagnoses came that you wonder how did a general practitioner come up with that. And I've had these doctors tell me, many of them, they've been in situations, didn't know what to do, and God gave them an answer that worked. I think about the gift of uh, languages. That was a supernatural gift that a guy could speak a language he had never studied. Okay, right on the spot. That's what it was. Glossa for tongue is a language. And so they could do that. But I've seen people with extraordinary gifts of learning languages. I was in Hong Kong one time for a, a Hope Health Corps thing. Uh, and Scott Green had started a church in Hong Kong when he was a young guy. And he learned how to speak, I guess Cantonese, is that what they speak in Hong Kong? Okay, he learned how to speak Cantonese, and the locals tell me that he could speak it without an accent. He sounded like a Chinese person when he spoke. Well, he left and went to Seattle. Pray for him, too. He's dealing with cancer also. Uh, brain tumor, he's taking his uh, radiation or chemo or whichever it is right now. But anyway, Scott uh, learned that language. It's hard to learn Asian languages, but he learned that language, but then he left, went to Seattle, and he had been out of Hong Kong for about two years when I went to that Hope Health Corps, and he flew all night and got there, as I recall, just in time to come to church. That's a long flight from the West Coast. But he got there just in time to go to church, and he got up to tell something, some announcements or whatever it was, and with no sleep, and that long flight and being out of Hong Kong for two years, he gets up and in fluent Chinese, no sleep, whatever, he gives the message and then he translates it for us guys from the U.S. and gives it in English. And he's just back and forth between Cantonese and English. And I'm thinking... Something, he got something up there in that brain. Uh, so, you know, I think people do have a counterpart in most all of these things. But it's all for the purpose of helping us reveal the message and confirm the message in our very lives. And the gifts that God has given us that are counterparts maybe to those miraculous ones are all a part of the package that God has given his body so that we can help change the world. We just have to be surrendered enough that God can really seriously work through us.
Sometimes when I talk to people and they say, well, you know, what should we do or where should our church go or where should our uh, movement of churches go and all of that, I said, you know, I think the best answer for me is Acts 13. It says that the leaders there were fasting and praying. Jesus had already said, we'll talk about this some next week, Jesus had already said, I want you to go to all the world and make disciples of all the nations. That's very broad, don't you think? And then in Acts 1, verse 8, he says, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And that's not very far away to Samaria. And then to the whole world. But he didn't give them any plan beyond that. But when they were really zoned in, they were in the zone spiritually, that's when the Holy Spirit said, Set apart Paul and Barnabas, and that's the first missionary journey begun. To me, guys, that's where I want to live. I want to live in a state of spirituality so that God can move me and direct me and use me any way he wants to. And there are times I don't know. I was in sort of a vacuum kind of figuring out, okay, I'm getting old here and what do I need to be doing when I came here about a year ago and spoke on the race issue, and now that's blossomed now into my main passion. And I'm writing and talking and speaking and all this because God gave me that heart, but it started with you. So thank you very much. But uh, I, I just was trying to be spiritual. I was trying to say, God, whatever you want to do with me, open the door, I'll go through the thing. If I'm a little dense here, kick me through. That'll be fine, too. Just get me through it and help me figure out what it is that you want. That, that's where I'm living right now. I probably don't have all that much time left. 75 sounds old to me. I don't know about you. That sounds old. And I know people older, but it sounds old. And I keep having friends die that are younger than that. And so I'm serious about this business. I want to get out of here on a roll with God. And the only way I know to do it, I, you know, there's no, not many guys have made it this long. And I, I don't have anybody with a manual to tell me how to be 75 in the kingdom of God. So I'm having to let God write that one. I'm just trying to stay spiritual in tune with God and let God lead. So I know that the Spirit stands ready to lead us. He's ready. Do we stand ready is the question. And then a passage like this one thrills my heart. For the eyes of the Lord reigns throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That's where we need to come from. Regardless of our age or our time in the kingdom of God, that's where we need to be all the time with a heart that's fully committed to him. And then he can do the leading. He can open the door. He can determine your steps and your future and the impact that you are designed by him to make for eternity. Amen? Amen. Okay, we're going to move into our communion time. And uh, as we do that, we think about the part that I pray about every day. Forgive me, God, through the blood of Jesus. And... Uh, 
we think about what he did for us and that becomes really our greatest motivation to do what we do for God. I've got a lot of new songs I've been listening to. One is called, I think, Let It Rain. And he says in the song, people ask me, how do I make it when life is as tough it is, it is for me? And he basically says, how could I not? Jesus died for me. And so he says, bring on the rain. He says, God, whatever in my life will bring you glory, be it pain or otherwise, if it will bring you glory, bring it on. And that's a heart that the cross needs to create in us. So that we say, God, I may not be much, but whatever I am is yours. And so I give my life to you. You open the doors, you push me through, you use my life for the design that you have for it. And he has a design for every person's life in this room. He has a plan for you. And it all begins with a cross that forgives our sins as we accept him. But then that cross continues to be a motivation to help us turn ourselves over to him more and more and more. And then he directs us more and more and more. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come to you today. We marvel that you're able to work in our lives the way that you are.